0: Hello and welcome to E3 Energy and Efficiency with Emily. I'm your host, Emily Mottram. This podcast is all about architecture, building science, and female entrepreneurship. So prepare to get nerdy. All right, guys. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm really excited today. We have Nikki Kruger on from Thermostore and um, we just want to hit a really hard point right here. Buildings do not need to breathe. People breathe. Buildings need to dry. So I'm super excited to have her on today to talk about dehumidification because this is a major issue. in our building industry, especially as we build tighter and we focus more on energy, we need to be focusing a lot more on indoor air quality. So welcome, Nikki. Tell us a little bit more about you, your company, what you're up to, and uh, we'll talk dehumidification. Sure. Thank you for having
1: me. Yep. So my name is Nikki Kruger. I am the building science manager for Thermostore. We manufacture indoor air quality products, everything from industrial all the way down to residential. Our main focuses are uh, filtration, ventilation, and then, of course, dehumidification. That's what we're really known for um, is our innovation in the dehumidification industry. And uh, we are uh, very busy right now. A lot of talk of ventilation and the importance of it. Um, And with ventilation, of course, in a lot of our climates, we're going to need that dehumidification to deal with that.
0: Yeah. So some of the biggest issues that we have in you know high performance structures is trapping that moisture on the inside of the house, which is why people say, oh, my house needs to breathe because in the 1800s, when there wasn't a stitch of insulation in there, they dried out. And so the structures lasted a long time because they dried out. Well, now we just need to think about it in a different way because one, for climate change, we don't have the ability to just continue to use fossil fuels at the same rate that we were, we also have a lot more people than we did then. So, um, you know, it's important that we really push the envelope on, you know, building better houses and, you know, for, Cost reasons too, like who can afford to put four thousand dollars in fuel oil into their heating tank because they live in one of those drafty old houses. Um, So, so moisture becomes a real issue. But as you said, ventilation is also becoming an issue. I think with people being home now, thinking more about it, more about the indoor air quality with COVID, but also with the wildfires, you know, out in the west. And so, um, I don't know if you want to touch on. Um, some of the importance I personally have, you know, the, the question is in Maine, we're starting to see a lot more humidity. We, we didn't deal with it before. I'll, I'll be perfectly honest with you until probably this year, <laughs> we just kind of were like, oh yeah, dehumidification. That's what people do with the of wet basements, but that's kind of not really the way we should be approaching it. Yeah.
1: It's, it's very much changing. Um, I'm in, you know, just outside of D- Washington, D.C. right now, but originally from Wisconsin. We, I mean, just like Maine, we always had a dehumidifier in our basement. And you would turn it up past that one or two, and the thing would freeze up like a box of ice. And, you know, it would remove water and help a little bit, but probably not as much as we needed. But we all just kind of learned to live with it that's just the way it was. Um, but the reality is, is our houses are changing where we used to wet and dry, wet and dry. And that's okay, as long as we can wet and dry. But now we're building our homes, even even in some states, just minimum code is a very tight house. I mean, kudos. That's awesome. Um, but as I always say, you know, no good deed goes unpunished. And we really need to think about how the indoor air quality our comfort the structure how all of that is being affected by how tight we're building we want to build tight the tighter we build the more control we will have over our environment so we just need to put the right equipment in place in order to handle the way our our structures are changing um but with that is 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 reprogramming and rethinking. I'm, I'm working on a house right now in in Maryland, and we've we've got someone who's having sensitivities to VOCs. The HVAC contractor doesn't want to bring any more fresh air in because there's a lot of humidity. Well, that's that's not the right answer. The right answer is, you know, we need to just put the equipment in place to be able to handle that moisture um, with the additional ventilation and and you're right i think right now um with the current situation people are spending more time in their homes and more people are spending more time in that exact same home so if we look at the amount of moisture we're generating inside um, and trapping it and then looking at okay we we all know we're hearing bring in more fresh air and that Could open up a real can of worms for a lot of people if they don't understand. You can't just say bring in more fresh air.
0: There's a lot to be said for that, too. And we often talk about the fact that, you know, with HVAC. The V and H is something that people are just like, eh, whatever, you know. It goes the, oh, the house breathes thats enough ventilation. But where's that ventilation air even coming from? I mean, I don't know. We read Allison's blog post. Like, are you breathing possum? Like, where's this coming exactly. from? Exactly. Basement crawl space. I spent a lot of time in nasty attics doing uh, energy audits and multifamily audits, and I'm the the thought of any air coming from my attic into my space as fresh air is just mind boggling to me. But also with dehumidification is, I can't tell you how many times we've seen somebody who's like, yeah, we have a dehumidifier. And they do, they have a dehumidifier in their basement into an open sump pump hole. So what exactly is that yeah. doing? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's very
1: true. And you know, it's, moisture is the number one detriment to to every building and we just need to think about, um, you know, we're doing such a good job of selling homeowners on a tight building to keep moisture out. I mean, in humid climates, especially, right? Keeping the moisture out, running our air conditioning or our HVAC less is a a big selling point. Um, But oftentimes what's missed is the amount of moisture being generated inside how to get that moisture to the outside and not just dumping it into an open sump. Um, But the real benefits of comfort, one of, you know, people are like, Oh, dehumidifier. If I have to put one on my house, it's going to be expensive. Well, the reality is, is you should feel more comfortable at a lower relative humidity with a higher temperature. So you should be able to increase that thermostat two to three degrees when you control the relative humidity. And when I say control, I mean to an actual relative humidity set point, not just I'm gonna get a boost from dehumidification mode or I'm gonna to overcool to try to dehumidify, which is totally contradictive. When you lower the the, the temperature, you increase the RH. So I'm talking about actual water removal out of the home. And, you know, shoulder seasons like you're seeing right now in Maine, you're starting to get into some colder temperature, you know, cooler temperatures um, and the higher dew point. Shoulder seasons is the most challenging times to control relative humidity with a traditional HVAC system. Um, You know, AC had that, that assumed dehumidification in it we need to be looking at HVACD where we are now seriously looking at the dehumidification of our systems um, and making sure that in those shoulder seasons that we can handle the higher moisture loads because we're moisture loading starting in spring all the way to the through the summer and fall is when we start getting a lot of calls. Like we we've hit that, you know, it's the, the tipping point. I call it the dripping point because our materials in our home can no longer absorb any more moisture um, through through all this moisture loading. And this is when we start getting a lot of calls from homeowners, contractors, multifamily building owners, that this is when they're going to start seeing the true effects of all that moisture.
0: Yeah, and, and- Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I know in the spring, this spring, we had a really humid spring and it was like, it was cool. It was cold outside, but it was wet. And so it was, you know, it was really interesting because you're not thinking like, oh, I run my air conditioner to dehumidify, which as you already mentioned is not the way you should do it and most of them don't run long enough like if you've done a good job on your energy performance it shouldn't have to run that long and if it doesn't run long enough it's definitely not doing anything for dehumidification but like in the spring we're not talking about air conditioning right we, we just got off of six months of winter and the dehumidifier it's like yeah you need this it's wet here it's getting warmer but the humidity is high and how do we handle this? And we've talked about, you know, in basements, do we need to provide auxiliary heat in the basement to make sure that it stays warm enough that we don't have, you know, RH issues. And then it's like, is providing heat to handle your RH issue backwards when you should just be handling RH with the dehumidifier, which will actually increase the temperature of your space as well. (laughs) So,
1: Yeah. It is, and and we see all these different approaches. Also, like if let's talk about crawl spaces in code um, for years in the in the IRC code to condition a a conditioned crawl space or an encapsulated crawl space. There was all these strategies, but a dehumidifier. North Carolina was the only state that has had dehumidification as part of their code for conditioning a crawl space. Um, now, Dr. Joe has, uh, has, has, has changed that into the, the 2018 code that dehumidifiers uh, are, are, are an option. Really, that's all you wanna do. I, I've got data from two crawl spaces here in Northern Virginia, habitat houses, right next to each other, exact same homes, and one of them, we encapsulated them both. One we put in supply uh, from the the AC to condition it, and then the other one we put a dehumidifier. The one with the supply was above seventy percent spring, summer, and fall for the most part because you're just counting on cold air in a cooler space based on the runtime that the homeowners set the thermostat to. So it's not really true control of that space. Where a dehumidifier, that's its only focus, set it and forget it. You set it at an RH, you let it do its job, remove the moisture. Tight houses, yes, the goal is to minimize the infiltration as much as possible of that humid air. But again, the tighter we are, we need to make sure we've got that good mechanical ventilation with good filtration as well. And our ventilating dehumidifiers have standard MERV 13 filtration. So we're going to filter all that air and then dehumidify when the AC doesn't remove enough moisture. So, you know, it's, it's challenging when we get into to Maine or, you know, more of these uh, northern climates that have always accepted dehumidifiers in a basement. And now they're realizing, okay, I want complete control of my environment all the time. So shoulder seasons, whatever that is, we open windows, we shut windows, but we still need that that moisture control. And how do we work that into our entire house now where we're, we're just used to it in our basements?
0: Yeah. And that actually brings up an, an interesting point because even the people who have dehumidifiers in their basements in places like Maine, um, their thinking is a little bit backwards. Um, so I often have people who will say, oh, make sure you design a window for me in my basement so that I can make sure that it dries out in the summertime. And I'm like, that's the worst possible idea you could have because it's a hundred percent humidity outside and it's maybe 60 degrees in your basement. And so then you open that up, you introduce moisture into your house, not out of it. So you're actually not drying. You're making things more wet than they were before. So Yeah, airflow and air movement is not the same thing as drying potential in those, you know, five, six, eight weeks of the summertime that we have here where the humidity is really, really high and so it's always this retraining, like no, that's not what we want to do, and we definitely want to do the dehumidification. And no, you can't just pump it into the sump pump hole unless you have a cover <laughs> for the sump pump hole. And like, why do we have a sump pump hole? Like, what's the groundwater here? If we have yep. this much water, why do we have a basement? You know, <laughs> all of those, like these things are all interconnected and they're tied together. Like, what are it's we, a rabbit hole. <laughs> what are we really doing here? Yeah, absolutely, it yeah, is a it, rabbit hole, and it is. It's
1: you know, health-wise, there's lots of, of documentation and research studies out there that we need to stay in that range. Like in the winter time, um, if I have a leaky home, you're going to be super dry in that home, and you might need to add a humidifier. Now, the tighter we get, the reality is is now we're starting to see moisture issues of too much moisture in the winter time in our really tight homes, which. The the solution to that is more dry you know ventilation air. Yes, you're going to have an energy penalty because you're going to have to heat that air. But that's the solution in the wintertime is bringing in more of that dry outdoor air.
0: And that's the whole ERV, HRV, you know can we preheat and pre-cool some of that so that we don't have as big of a penalty on it? What is the energy penalty of the fan Watts of some of these things? You know, we've often heard, um, here, there are still lots of people who do exhaust only ventilation, you know, with bathroom fans. And they say, you know, like, look, the penalty of that bathroom fan isn't really that high over the fact that your indoor air quality is, is more important. Now, as we think about that, we're like, well, how good is that air really? Cause it's coming through whatever part of the structure, whatever. Um, But when you were on BS and beer a couple of weeks ago, you said something that was sort of an aha moment for me. Which is that a lot of dehumidifiers are rated at 80 degrees. Well, I don't know if my basement has ever been 80 degrees, right? And so 50% RH on that unit that's rated at 80 degrees in a basement that's 60 degrees may not actually be doing what you want it to do. So I don't know if you can talk a little bit more about how to understand or pick the dehumidification system so so now we've agreed dehumidification is important we should all be doing it there are times of the year when we have to do it Um, but there are also things that we need to look at when we're picking that unit so that we make sure if you're putting it in the basement and your basement is never going to be 80 degrees what do i need to look for like how do i decide Sure,
1: sure. So first of all, let's clarify. Um, we manufacture Ultra Air, which is a whole house ventilating dehumidifier. So if you want, you can ventilate. It's got MERV-13 filtration. It integrates with the ductwork of the HVAC system. Or if you're using ductless mini splits it can kind of act as um, your air distribution, filtration, ventilation, dehumidification separate from that. And then our basement and crawl space dehumidifiers is Santa Fe. And I want to make sure to to really uh, differentiate the two because there's different applications for each one, but the reality is, is no matter which one you use, buying an energy efficient dehumidifier is extremely important. And then understanding that, and and it's changing, um, but up till a a year or two ago, um, and it really hasn't truly been implemented in the industry yet, but dehumidifiers were rated at 80 degrees and 60% relative humidity, which is about the conditions of an indoor pool. So um, when, we, when anybody says what's the pints of that dehumidifier, and let's say it's 70 pints, that means it removes 70 pints of water per day at 80 degrees and 60% relative humidity. Most basements are around 65, 68 degrees. Um, and the amount of water that dehumidifier is going to remove is going to uh decrease now if you're buying a higher end professional grade dehumidifier like we make we are designed more to still operate um at higher water removal at those those colder conditions than if you were to buy one at a big box store um made by a foreign manufacturer they typically are going to drop off pretty quickly um, and how much water they're going to remove at those conditions. Now, w- there, the the DOE is now changing how dehumidifiers are being rated, where they're separating whole house and basement conditions. So a basement is, uh, I think, I'm going to say 68 degrees and 50% relative humidity is what they're, or 60% relative humidity is what they're rating those at. I could be off a little bit on that. And then whole house is 73 degrees and 60% relative humidity. Um, I would much, I mean, we, we run our, our manual J's based on 75 degrees. So I would much rather see more of a 75 degree um, but I mean, we're trying to be more realistic in what is reality kind of going on out there to get the numbers. So it is, it, it can be challenging because someone might not get a big enough dehumidifier based on what their actual needs are, because we get this all the time. Somebody calls, and, and, and part of it is the industry. We, we rate the, or we size a dehumidifier based on square footage. There is no governing, really, uh, organization that determines what size dehumidifier you need because there's so many variables. How leaky is the house? How many people are in the house? Um, You know, do we have aquariums going on? How much fresh air are you bringing in? What climate zone are you in? What's the goals? That's what I talk to and train with with builders and contractors and someone says well what what size dehumidifier do i need i'm like well what's the goal do you want that dehumidifier to handle the latent load no matter what time of the year it is a hundred percent so you know for sure that that's always going to be taken care of or are you is it just supplemental you know that the ac is totally right size you know the people are going to run it based on your designs that way and do you just want a little bit of supplemental dehumidification so it 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 really depends on what the goals are before we can say this is the one you need and I always will say if you are on the the edge of wondering you know do I need a 98 pint or 128 pint go with the 120 pint unit because you can't really oversize a dehumidifier, but you can undersize drastically. Now a bigger unit will, might use a little bit more energy to remove the same amount of water, but at least you know you're gonna be covered for what you need.
0: Yeah, so unlike in you know a modulating condensing heating system, you can oversize and not get down low enough to the compressor sides and dehumidification, that's not really the case there, you know, and what we found this summer, so it's interesting that you talk about this, because this is the, um, this sort of the joke, is that our buildings all work perfectly until we put people in them, and then, (laughs) and then, and then it gets really interesting, but, you know, here in Maine, a lot of people want to open their windows, um, especially in the summertime, I mean, we have a couple of weeks, more so, I think, in the last couple of years, and probably only going to continue to get worse as it gets warmer, but, um, we have a couple of weeks where it's pretty humid. Um, and the thought process has been on that when you're talking ventilation and you're talking indoor air quality is, um, you know, everybody wants to open their windows. And so they open their windows and then, you know, we had days where it was 70 degrees, but it was 80% humidity. So it was cool it was cool enough. And people wanted to have their windows open. Cause they're like, Oh, I don't want to run my mechanical system and my heat pump and my, you know, ERV, because it's, it's gorgeous outside, but it's a little bit wet. And then it's like, okay, is that okay? Because all of the surface temperatures in the upper floors of your house are the same. And I'm like, well, still run the dehumidifier in the basement because it's always going to stay cooler down there. So like, that's just a given. And unfortunately, you're probably going to be transitioning some of the air if you do have your windows open to the basement. Everyone thinks, you know, oh, heat rises, whatever. But you do send air to the basement when you have stratification. So Anyway, you can have some of that excess moisture that you're pulling into the house being pulled into the dehumidifier in the basement. But you and I had talked about this, like, okay, yes, in theory, if all of the surfaces are the same temperature, maybe you wouldn't have condensation that could lead to mold, but it's a very, very small like window between too much and not enough. And you might have places in your house that are cool. So like on the back north corner of the house, maybe it's not the 70 degrees that it is outside. Maybe it's only 65. And now you need to start watching those places. So in an ideal world, in the summertime, everything would be closed. The RH would be at 50%. And maybe the cooling load would be 72 instead of 70 But when you have people that come to you that say like, I just opened my windows in the summertime, how do you deal with that? Well,
1: and and the important thing is again, wet and dry. So as long as we can wet and dry, we will be, we will be good for the most part. Um, So if we open up our windows, we're probably going to be doing some moisture loading in our materials, right? So condensation is one thing to worry about. And then, of course, we have then adsorption where we start um, moisture loading our materials. And then we'll hit a saturation um, because they can't handle anymore, right? So it's not necessarily condensation. It's just the materials are now at their max load, and, and then something's going to start growing at some point. But if our windows are open, there's probably going to be days where it's going to be a little drier. and um, days, it's going to be wetter. And we'll get some wetting and drying. And just like when our houses were leaky, you know, hopefully we'll dry out for a significant amount of time in the wintertime, and then we can start our moisture loading again in the spring. That's how our houses used to work. The challenge is if we open up our windows, let a lot of moisture in and then shut the windows and then have a very small air conditioning load that is just getting to that temperature thermostat and not running long enough periods to actually remove enough moisture, that that dehumidification becomes even more important because there's a chance we opened up the windows, it was high dew points outside, maybe the temperature seemed okay, but then we loaded up the house, then we shut the window and we're just getting to that temperature and that's it. And we're not removing moisture. So it's, it's becoming more of a, you know, a crapshoot on if we're getting enough dehumidification and that's where we're seeing a lot of our HVAC contractors get more and more calls about um, mold issues, being uncomfortable, um, maybe there's somebody who's sensitive in the house to indoor allergens, which is, you know, dust mites. If you keep it below 50%, dust mites can't grow in a house. I um, can't survive in a house. And so an 85% of people who have indoor aller- or allergies, it's dust mites. So there's a, there's so many factors with dehumidification that the structure, the health, the comfort that to me, I'm to the point now where I think we're getting a lot of people over that hump of arguing, I don't need that dedicated dehumidification, especially if we start saying, well, let's look at the sensible heat ratios on your air conditioning system, because if you're putting in something with really high sear, most likely it's not removing a lot of water. And so again that comes into when someone says well what size dehumidifier do i need well then we also need to look at your manual j's and what that the equipment that you're choosing how effective is it at move, removing water as well and it's just not so easy of saying you know here's a dehumidifier take it and it's going to make everything perfect we really need to look at the house as a whole and the mechanical system as a whole and make decisions based on that. And then I'm sure you see this as well, but I was just on a call with a builder the other day and they are building really cool um, littler kind of homes, two to three bedrooms, smaller homes in a really expensive area and charging a lot of money for these houses because that's what the rate is. And the amount that they're spending on the mechanicals is so minute compared to what they're charging for that house, and then that's where as an industry we need to change
0: yeah, I think you're right. We talked a little bit, a little bit about this before we started recording, which is yeah. that you know our buildings have focused so much on energy and and even then, I would say our building community as a whole isn't focusing enough on any of those things, but where we are changing the focus for efficiency, we haven't spent enough time talking about the mechanicals. And yes, we want to build more durable homes so that we can have less mechanicals. So that doesn't have to use as much to keep us in the comfort realm, but we now need maybe three systems. So where you used to just have, um, maybe it was like really, really old back in the day, you had a wood stove in an 1800s, you know, and you had a couple of fireplaces and it was cold in all parts, but it, wet and it dry. Then we got more efficient. Then we had boilers and forced hot air systems. We don't have a lot of forced hot air in Maine, I think primarily because we didn't have a lot of air conditioning. So there wasn't as much need for that. So they did a lot of more boiler systems. Now we're kind of transitioning out of that, but because we didn't have a lot of duct work, I would say that, you know, we're, we don't understand air conditioning and ventilation as much as, as we should, but that we also forget as you know, and I take credit for this as architects and designers, but a lot of residential structures are built with just builders. It's like, we haven't figured out where all this stuff is going to go, right? So where's all this ductwork go? Where, how does it get out of the building? How do, you know, how do we keep it out of our thermal envelope? But we focused so much on efficiency and not enough on the indoor air quality. And now we're seeing Maybe because of our current environment, people are more concerned about it. Now they're getting indoor air quality monitors. They're starting to see that stuff. And so we have, as a rule of thumb said, you know, between 40 and 60, depending on what time of year it is about that. But more and more now, the more houses that I'm doing, um, especially with clients that I can convince to have a relative uh, humidity monitor inside I say, In a brand new house for that first year, if you can keep it between 20 and 30, that's great. Now 20 is like nosebleed dry, but you're increasing the bulk moisture of the structure because a lot of new building materials have moisture in them and they need to acclimate to the site, the system and how it's put together. And that's not discussed very often. In fact, what the relative humidity inside your house is not hardly ever discussed. And like 40 after a couple of years might be okay. 30 more comfortable, especially in, you know, as we're loading the materials of our wall systems, you know, here in Maine in February, it might be negative 15 degrees. Well, I can guarantee you in a double stud wall, the sheathing is probably wet, you know? And so it's like, How do we keep moisture from the inside, from pushing out to getting to a condensing surface? How does that affect the durability of our structure? And so we need to talk in terms of durability and health in our structures. And you get efficiency out of that once you start doing it. Instead of starting the conversation with efficiency and not talking about the house or building as a system. It's a system you change one part, it affects other parts, and so and it's probably the most important part of the
1: system that affects the people living in it, and that's like with Christoph and Robert Bean is we need to be designing around people and not around buildings, and good
0: buildings come from designing for the people, well, are- we have buildings. Because we want to put people in them. Exactly. Like like we said earlier, (laughs) the building works great if there are no people, but we put people in buildings. That's the primary, you know. And and then we give them control of that system. (laughs) I know. And it's funny too, because you, you see this. And this is one of the things that comes up a lot with ventilation strategies and dehumidifiers and, and everything is that like, what happens when the next owner turns it off? Cause they don't know how this system works. Yeah. And I think this is an education problem in the building industry. One education first of the professionals in the industry, both HVAC builders and designers to understand the importance of why we're doing it, but then education to the clients. And this is, um, something that i would love to see happen um and i work with with some of my subcontractors is let's create a maintenance schedule like you know when you take your car in you have to take your car in every so often you have to change the oil you have to change the filters you have to do these things and we just we've adapted to that as a society and sure we have people who don't do that who end up blowing oh. up their engine or you know have, that's their own fault and that's and and that's That happens. And it's going to continue to happen. Right. I mean, there's always going to be people who don't follow that, but the majority of people, I feel like if you own a car, you understand that you have maintenance. And so the Christophe said, you know, the ventilation system is like the lungs of our building, you know, like that's a system and it needs to be maintained and the filter needs to be changed regularly. And The compressor probably needs to be cleaned every, you know, maybe it's not every year, maybe it's every couple of years, but like, you know, you have a mouse that comes and builds a nest on your compressor and all of a sudden it's not functioning. Now it's not giving you what you need. But so, um, I thought it was funny. I don't even remember who I was talking to, but I think it was on the podcast about putting a QR code on the inside of the mechanical room door that every homeowner, then it would upload into this app that automatically puts calendar updates in your calendar. That's like, boom. Okay. It's been six months. You need to call so-and-so to have them come check this or change it. But even without doing the maintenance schedule, I feel like because these systems are new and different for people, um, When you move in on day one, a brand new house is overwhelming. There are so many things. You're just, at that point, you're so overwhelmed at the end of construction. You're just like, does my furniture fit in here? How do I get into this house? And so maybe you haven't really quite downloaded all of the things that you need to do with your mechanical system. So like a follow-up a month later, like, okay, would you like to go over that again? How is it working? You know, And even maybe in each season. Like, okay, this is a shoulder season. Like you said, spring and fall, probably the worst times for dehumidification. That's the time people aren't going to think about it as much, right? Yeah. Because they're like, oh, it was really dry in the winter time, So I'm fine going into the spring. And like, oh, well, it was, it was humid. And I ran my AC during the summer. So now it's fine. It's September or the heat's not on yet, but it's like, oh, you know, so I feel we're We're missing a component of continued maintenance or regular check-ins with clients. I'm not expecting you to know everything. I'm just expecting you to know that maybe you should know something here and yeah. that you should call somebody to come. you know New yeah. England yes. mean primarily has a lot of fuel oil. And most people know that like once a year, I got to have my boiler cleaned because it gets dirty from operation. Well, you know, every system needs something, maybe not as much, but something. And it's, it's
1: people's expectations. And then also, you know, their accountability. So yes, you, you need to take responsibility for the largest mechanical system in your house. Probably, you know, uh, what you own, right? I mean, it, it is your comfort, your health, everything, and it's going to need maintenance, and you need to take responsibility of that. And then the other part of it is managing homeowners' expectations on what the system can do. I cannot tell you in the last month or two how many calls I've had from builders saying, we've got a customer that wants to keep their thermostat at 68 degrees and doesn't understand how, in a newer home, how it's hard to achieve that without causing some problems. And, you know, by code, an HVAC contractor cannot run a manual J less than 75 degrees. That's code. So, I mean, can we tweak it? Can we work it? Yeah. But the reality is, is how long is that person going to live in that house who wants this way oversized system Um, in order to achieve that. And then the reality is we're going to have moisture issues because, you know, trying to size for that. Exactly. Um, But it's, it's managing people's, and and everybody, what we call it is everybody wants the San Diego effect, right? We want to live in these, you know, the relative humidities, right where it should be, the temperature should be, and we can achieve that to some extent, but when we get way out of that, you know, 68 degrees or lower, that there's going to be problems, you know, Southern Florida trying to get to 68 degrees in a, in a home that's not specifically designed for you for that is going to be challenging. Um, and, and there's not a lot around that without the, and they, and if it's not designed for that, they're trying to run it for that and it's causing a lot of problems. So it's that's just where we are now too, like you were talking about historically. Well, historically, people knew they were gonna be uncomfortable in their houses. I mean, for heating with this, we know, okay, it's gonna be cold, it's wintertime, it's Maine, I'm gonna put on sweaters. Okay, it's Maine, we don't have air conditioning, we're going through a hot spell, we're gonna be uncomfortable. People don't accept that anymore.
0: No, just homes. comfort comfort level is like what five to eight degrees or something yeah. and people like the and yeah. we we have not I mean, I grew up in a house that was built before the Civil War. There was no heat or air conditioning in the second floor and I acclimated to it. You know, I just got used to it. My dad's thing was always put on another sweater. He's like, I'm not turning up the heat. It's too expensive. You know, this log house is drafty, whatever, (laughs) put on another sweater. But now looking at it and designing for other people is like, they don't want to put on another sweater. I can't design for my client to put on another sweater. I have to design, you know, and if you're thinking like, passive house and comfort levels. Like I have to design that window you want to sit next to in February to be warm enough that you can sit next to it. So it's not drafty. You know, it's like it's a totally different mindset on where we are today, because we've learned that we can condition our spaces to be comfortable and we spend 90% of our time indoors, but we don't understand what makes us comfortable. Right. Like you said, 75 degrees with less than 50 Rh might be as comfortable as 68 degrees. Actually, 68 degrees with higher Rh and being wet probably still isn't it is. comfortable. It's like this weird swampy thing. Like it I don't is. yeah, I don't would
1: be and that's what I tell these, you know, and it's hard, but I try to explain to, to builders and to homeowners if you could get that relative humidity under control you would be absolutely frozen at 68 degrees. You yeah. know, so if if we can get that under control where we are, you know, more at that 72, 73, 74, and I like to set my relative humidity at 50% because that means at the controller where it's sensing is 50%. And the farther I get away, which typically is going to be, um, a bedroom that farther away, I know that I'm within probably that 50 to 60% range, the farther I get away from it. Um, now, if you have somebody in the home who's more sensitive to VOCs, which we know there's more off gassing of products in our home, that you know, IKEA, IKEA furniture that you're buying is gonna off gas at a higher rate with the higher relative humidities. Um, that's going to help as well. It's going to slow down that off gassing um, and it won't be as sensitive. And we might say, you know, I, I've got a, 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 a homeowner that um, suffers from Lyme's disease and her doctor tells her she needs to keep the relative humidity at 40 to 45%. That's going to be hard to achieve without really thinking through how I'm going to design that mechanical system in order to achieve that. Yeah. So there's, again, it's, it's great that we're having so many conversations about moisture control and trying to understand how to work it into the system because we can, we can design healthy, comfortable, energy efficient systems if we just work through how you know what what does that building need what do the people need not even what the building needs what do the people need and let's size right and incorporate the ventilation the air cleaning the heating cooling dehumidification and get it right and and it's hard but there's more conversations which is great
0: well and i think For a long time, we never talked about it in terms of what people who actually live or work in a space want to feel. They want to be comfortable first off, right? So they want to know, you know, temperature wise, moisture, humidity wise, that they're comfortable in the space, but they also want to be healthy and they don't understand what yeah, what makes it healthy. And so when we start talking MERV filtration, and all of the ins and outs and manual J, like we lose oh. them and they're like, they're just yep. gone. And so it goes back to saying like, okay, what do you do in your space? Like, do you work from home? Like lots of people are working from home now. And even probably some of the houses that were set up for good ventilation may not be enough for our current environment.
1: Homeschooling all of that that's going on right that's co2 i mean i can't concentrate you can't concentrate
0: (laughs) we don't know why we're tired in this room and then you get an indoor air quality monitor and you're like whoa the co2 is off the charts and in an office building that was done well that has a good mechanical system they have handled ventilation we just don't tell you that you know like if you have a large conference room they've put some kind of ventilation into this conference room so that when you have 20 people in this room, you're still all awake. You're getting rid of the CO2. But in, I don't know, I think in the commercial world in office buildings and hospitals, we expect that, you know, we expect our mechanical contractors to be involved in it. And in the residential world where a homeowner can build their own house and, you know, you we've maybe lost a little bit of contact with the reality of building today, but the building has now also gotten more complicated and that our knowledge base needs to increase with it getting more complicated. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you personally need to be the person that knows how to handle it. It means that you need to bring somebody in on your team that says, okay, what do we got going here? How many people do we have? Like, what are the ASHRAE requirements? Yeah. What What's the specific, like, do, you know, do you have an indoor pool? Like, okay, that's <laughs> like, a you know, yeah. indoor <laughs> pools. I don't get that. But some people have them, you know, but like, what do you have in this yeah. space? And are you home? And yeah. are you homeschooling? And, you know, yes, maybe we don't want to plan for our current COVID environment where everybody's home, but, I wonder if the new environment isn't all going to go back to all those office spaces because they've figured out that people can maybe they're not all as productive as they were but there's this new idea about productivity office space open office like proximity to people that's all going to change and so if we're going to spend more time in our houses we need to prepare for this next level of your house is doing something other than what it did before because before we used to really concentrate on and people didn't understand this either, but it's pretty easy to understand after you explain it to them is you need ventilation in your bedroom. Everyone's like, oh, I need to exhaust from my bathroom and exhaust from my kitchen. Cause there's so nice. like, you spend, hopefully if you're any good eight hours a night yeah. breathing in your bedroom with the door closed, like CO2 and moisture in that room are off the charts while you're sleeping. Like maybe you're not getting a good night's rest because you know because of the indoor air quality in your bedroom. And people that it just never occurs to them. Uh, and
1: you know, and, and given your environment, um you know, being in Maine, obviously exhaust is is very predominant. And I'm not saying that it's not predominant in the entire country. It is. It's cheap ventilation. No way. But I was on the call with an architect yesterday in Southern Florida um, who is more on the commercial side, but now is working on a large residential house and his ventilation strategy was exhaust. And, and that's because in the commercial side, they they use a lot more of that exhaust. And and I was trying to explain to him that, you know, in, in a climate like Southern Florida, you... If you are exhausting, you're sucking in through every crack and crevice and you're not filtering and you're not controlling that air. We want more of a supply ventilation strategy in an environment like that. To try. So again, I think, you know, where, where we're missing a little bit is more guidance on ventilation strategies in certain climate zones. And you can't just say exhaust in the Mid-Atlantic or in the South qualifies as a straw, you know, exhaust only as a strategy. Um, and and that's what it is right now. You can choose, you know, balance supply or exhaust, and there's no
0: guidance
1: on climate zone.
0: Yeah. I think, um, we've talked a lot about carbon and carbon storing and, you know, plant-based materials and actually looking at the, the environment and seeing, what things grow and how things work in, in different climate zones. And so like you look at the plant hardiness map and it's different. Like there are reasons why we have different climate zones. Right. And there are reasons why when you put pollutants and roundups near a water source that goes down that it kills the Everglades. Like there, so if you put these pollutants in your house it affects your, your body and in the indoor air quality. Like if we start thinking about how these things affect each other, By looking at both the environment, which, you know, self-regulates that stuff and how we've made changes to that, some of it starts to get clearer on why it's so critically important. And one of the other things that came up a lot in Maine when I was doing more energy audits is people didn't understand why they were sick all the time in the wintertime. And they weren't realizing that the indoor environment that they were in was leading to a lot of health issues. Like you yeah. said, keeping that RH below 50% and eliminating dust mites might be critical for a bunch of people who have indoor allergies. But at the same time, controlling that moisture, we had people who were not taking into account the water in a structure, and then they would insulate it, And they would make it really tight and they would have this wet basement and then the wet basement would grow mold and they would have these health issues and they had bronchitis all winter long and they didn't know why they were sick. And it's preemptive that our structures have direct effects on our health. And renovations are challenging. They are. You
1: change that envelope and a lot of of those things are not taking into consideration on the current mechanicals and what's going to change Um, and so I, that's, I mean, I, I've worked in a lot of multifamily renovations for affordable housing and that sort of thing. And that's the most, the most challenges because there's holes in places that nothing was done or couldn't be done, but yet we've upgraded the insulation, and we've made sure that they're going to add ventilation now, but we don't, we don't know everything because renovations are so much hidden so much and and a lot of times contractors in in residential and homes um they're not working together as sub as the subcontractors. You know one person's being called in to do one thing and they have no idea what the rest of of. of Feel like- I came in and I
0: replaced all of your windows. Uh, So windows, windows is one of my hot buttons, right? So (laughs) so the window itself will never pay for itself. They're not that great. Um, The difference between double pane and triple pane has a lot more to do with thermal comfort than it does with performance of the windows. But so the window industry has really touted that, you know, oh, we see 20 to 30% improvement with new windows. Well, people don't understand why that is. And biggest reason why that is, is because we don't install windows the same way we used to. So we don't have those big weight and chain pockets. You know, we don't, we're not stuffing fiberglass in the, you know, half inch shim opening anymore. We're, you know, low expanding foam. We're sealing it in. So the performance probably has a lot more to do with how the window was installed than the actual window itself. Yeah, exactly. And so people, people are kind of missing that, but like you hear all the time, like, Oh, I replaced all my windows and I saved all this money. And I'm like, yeah, that would have been the last thing that I told you to do. Like we would have done all of these things first. And, um, but you're right. Those subcontractors come in and they'll do a little bit here, a little bit there, you know, they might go through. Um, but renovations are so difficult because unless you're doing a total gut rehab, where you can open everything up, See what's in there. See what's behind it. You know that came up on beer yep. the other day. It's like the electrical isn't an issue. Knob and tube wiring might be perfectly safe as long as it doesn't come into contact with anything else. Yeah. But then we just blew insulation in the wall, and now all of a sudden we've got a major fire hazard. Or uh, you know, people are, oh, well, come in and we'll spray foam all this. We're like, did you take the siding off? Like, what kind of sheathing do you have? What kind of WRB do you have? And like, oh, well, we don't know. I'm like, well, did you just cause a rot issue? For whatever you sandwiched on the outside, because you don't know what's on the outside, yeah. you know, like, I don't know if this whole house is wrapped in ice and water shield, or if there's nothing and they're skip boards or so unless you can see that's what gets really scary is like, unless you can see all the parts you don't really know what's going on or, or when we were doing a bunch of energy consulting, you know, my first thing was health and durability. So we dealt with water and moisture issues and all that stuff first, but then we did another radon test. I'm like, if we're going to seal this up, we need to make sure you don't have radon. And sure. It wasn't an issue when you had a rubble stone foundation and everything just kind of, you know, breathed. but now we made this tighter and we might have an indoor air quality issue. And we were thinking like, okay, what's the RH And what's the radon? But what toxins do we not know about yet? What other VOCs are in there? Wood stove particulates, they're saying, you know, because this is Maine, right? Again, uh, lots of people have wood stoves. And what kind of, you know, PM 2.5 dust particles do you have from that? And when you made it tighter did you create an issue and like the wood stove now it doesn't get good enough draft so you open the door now you're introducing more (laughs) like I mean there's so many if then that so like I always say when people ask me like what should I do about this I'm like well it depends that's kind of my catchphrase right it It depends like I don't know this is a system and all these parts are interrelated and if you change one part it might be for the better and it might make something better or it might make something really, really bad. And if we don't know what's going on here, then we're going to create more issues and yeah. ventilation, dehumidification and indoor air quality are now things that we can no longer sort of just, well, I didn't know about that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, in the, You know, I mean, I think it's to the point now
1: what we're seeing, because we invented, you know, like the whole house ventilating dehumidifier category in 1996. And it, it's always been going in to fix a problem. So people are already living there. Now we have a problem. Um, Over the years, I would say custom and semi-custom builders, architects have learned more, embraced more, probably because there was a problem and they don't want to deal with it again but definitely more of our traditional customer base. And I would say in the last five years, um, we are definitely gaining a lot more consumer attention where they are actually requesting it by name. I want this and more of the production builders and whether it is more for um, litigation and liability or it is because the homeowner is demanding it and they want indoor air quality. There's a spectrum there, but ultimately dehumidification I think is coming one way or another. So it's just at what stage in the game and we are seeing more and more that it's being designed in on the front end um, for whatever reason that may, may be. It might be the consume, you know, the homeowner and it might be just the builders saying, I don't wanna deal with those issues again.
0: Yeah. And I think we used to see a lot of, um, in the heating realm in Maine, because we're a predominantly heating climate, we used to see a lot of oversizing of heating systems. So the heating contractor didn't get callbacks on that. They were like, hey, yep. look, I want to be safe here. I think the durability in the built environment with the builders is there, probably the push on that, which is, you know, I don't want to call back yep. on this because you're telling me I have to build this tighter and I know tighter means more moisture in it. I might not understand all of the implications of why and how and whatever we're doing here, but I do understand that tighter means Petri dish as they like to, you know, call it. And so they're like, okay, well, I I definitely don't want that. So I'm going to, I'm going to do something here. And so as we start to talk to builders more about durability and liability, in structures, I think that we'll see more buy-in on the controls part of the HVAC systems and how they work together.
1: And I think if you know, if I were to give, I mean, I can't, you know, we get this a lot. Well, how much is that dehumidifier going to cost me to install? Um, you know, the price of the dehumidifier and the install, I can't control that in different parts of the country. It's 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 different, but if we were to give a range of three to $5,000 and that builder can then tell a better story for their homes and add that to their costs, we have found that that's the most successful way to do it. Um, And, and those homeowners that get it are, and and I think we're going to see a lot more homeowners Mm -hmm. that are getting that now where they, you know, the the countertops and the fixtures and all that, that was the sexy, right? That's what I want to pay more for. But we need to make that indoor air quality um, story really relate to them. And I do think the current state of where we are and where we're going to be moving forward, that's going to be a more important and an easier story to tell for builders.
0: Yeah. And I think once we get out of the cost, like what does, what's this yeah. going to cost me? And we start talking about what does this thing do for me exactly. to protect me and my family and the health. And, and yeah, we'll still have the, the naysayers or whatever, especially until we shift that. But it's kind of like saying, you don't get to go to the car manufacturer and be like, oh, I sort of don't really want the engine. But I would really like it to be fire engine red and I'd like it to be all these things. Well, it's not going to run if you pick and choose the parts. Like, can you downgrade it to a cheaper system? Yeah, maybe. I mean, not everybody needs to have the Cadillac of systems. There are lots of different systems that work for different things, but you still need the system. The basics. I mean, there's some of them that in some climate
1: zones... And, and it's harder to for me to say that, you know, it's automatically Florida um, because dew points can be just as high in Florida all the way up to Maine. It's just how long do they last? Um, but, you know, some of the highest dew points recorded um, have been farther north than in the south. And that's low. You know, so we and there, and it's happening more and more, you know, where 73 degree dew points, um, up in Maine are lasting longer and you're seeing them. So it's, it's a matter of, we need the right systems in place to protect the house, to protect the people, especially. And maybe that isn't an option that we give everybody anymore that, you know, and we have those builders that are like, it's, it's mandatory. It's not optional. It's not in our options package. That's how we're protecting ourselves. And we are making sure that your house is protected in your house.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a really critical point. And I, I maybe an unpopular or unfair point is that maybe not everybody can afford to build what you realistically should build for proper, healthy, quality because we as the building industry need to get on board with the things that we have to do. Like this is this is just a have to do, you yeah. know. Like what goes into the wall system is a have to do. What goes into the mechanical system is a is a have to do. Everything else after that is a a wish. And if you can't afford to do the things that you have to do, then maybe you need to look at or we need to look at providing different Housing types to people who can't maybe afford to do all of the have to do's, you know, and maybe they have a shared system. Like maybe it's a 14 unit apartment building that has an ERV that's shared between three units, that has a bath fan and a kitchen fan, that has some homeowner control so that you have a little bit of control in it and a dehumidification system that. Keeps you from overloading somebody else's unit on on something, but that the shared cost is how we get to still having. I mean, it's fascinating to me. You know, the some of the most beautiful buildings in New York City ha, may not be as good or, or are not as good as far as energy performance and healthy indoor air quality as some of the, you know, low income, new passive house style buildings and health is critical and important. And anybody can build you four walls and a ceiling, but if that's not healthy for you, then that's a tent, right? That's just separating you
1: from the outside to the inside. There's no other benefits.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And so once we start changing the value proposition to like, how healthy is this space? How durable is this space? How much maintenance am I going to have to do on this when I don't control the moisture and all of a sudden the floor joists are dripping and they rot in three years? Like, it costs you X number of dollars to build this thing only to redo it three years later. Like, uh, uh, I don't like no builder wants to get that phone call. You know, no homeowner wants to have to make that phone call. So if we can move away from the things that we try to cut out when we value engineer, these things cannot be value engineered out of a structure, like period. You can value engineer out that granite countertop that you want (laughs) or, or, The other thing from my point of view as an architect is do you really need 2,500 square feet? Let's talk about what you need. Can we build less square footage so that you, you have a house that's curated specifically for you that always works for your needs. Isn't just always, when I go into, you know, we have been in a ton of homes where you go into like a developer-built house and you have that weird space at the top of the stairs that's like not big enough to be a room but not small enough. Like, what do you do with that? Like, what is this space here? I don't get it. Yeah, like it's just stuff I had to pay for. Or m- my favorite thing to say is, "Square footage is just the amount that the tax department can tax you on." Oh, that's all it is. <laughs> yep, exactly. Well, and and back to this, you know, just quickly to touch on
1: is. I think we need to challenge the when, like especially for multifamily, but this goes to single family as well, but challenge the architect and the builder and the mechanical designer to be able to provide the elements needed in that house at a price that's affordable. And I'm saying this because um, John Simelhack um, with Think Little, And um, a a developer uh, here, Jimmy Holland, they actually used an affordable family housing, an ERV, a ducted mini split and an in-wall dehumidifier for less than the price of a traditional multifamily HVAC system. And so we can get those elements if we push back a little bit and say, you know, these are mandatory and i shouldn't have to pay three times the cost to get them into my building because the cost of all of these and the technology that's coming out is is making it more affordable and so get away from what we've always done yes and let's get creative on how we can actually achieve
0: this and they have shown that it can be achieved i think historically speaking does no longer works for us. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter what we used to do. I've always done we've, it this way. It's fine. <laughs> Cause we've moved on from that. And you know, the, especially when you're talking mechanical systems in a high performance house, like we don't do the same calculations to get to that because now we've figured out how to keep most of the surface temperatures in this structure at a higher temperature without the loss, right? So we don't have to make up for a significant amount of heat loss. So that's why I always explain to my clients who use the ductless mini splits is a lot of times they'll have a remote and they're like, oh man, I don't want to set my mini split above like 68 degrees because it's a heating climate. I'm like, it doesn't work that way. I mean, first of all, it's at the ceiling. And unless you have some other kind of thermostat, it's measuring the temperature at the ceiling. So if you want it to be warm down here, (laughs) you have to set it a little bit higher. And two, if you're asking it to be 70 degrees, it's probably burning 70 to 80 degree air. It's not calculating it up to that 180 degree baseboard temperature that's running around your house, heating everything up, waiting for it to cool off to heat everything up again. I was like, so the set point and where you put it, especially on the mini splits, I'm like, set it to where you're comfortable and then leave it alone. Yep. Don't turn it up and down. Don't, you know, screw around with it. And don't look at what it says on the temperature reading. Like, if you find that you're spending a ton of energy on something, we'll reevaluate it. Like, yep. maybe we missed something. Maybe something's using more energy than we thought. Like, but, But otherwise set it to your comfort level and then leave it alone. And that's a really hard, like you said, about the people who want to set the temperature at 68 degrees and they're not realizing that 68 degrees with the right dehumidification is freezing, you know? And so we haven't quite bridged the gap yet, I don't think, with homeowners on understanding comfort plus efficiency and maybe even with mechanical contractors, you know, I had one who was, who wanted, um, I, we have this really small house, um, and it's double stud wall. It's a, it's, I mean, you could probably heat this thing with a matchstick and they wanted to put like an 18 kBTU on the second floor and 18 kBTU on the first floor and like a 12 kBTU mini split in the, in the bedroom. And I'm like, Whoa, you, know, my energy model says this whole thing needs 11 kBTU. Like, whoa! what are we doing here? Like, Let's take a step back. Let's reevaluate. And it's it is you know so even the homeowners that you're working
1: with, it's and and builders, it's we only know our past experiences, right. and they're coming most likely from leaky homes, right? And don't understand the true benefits of a tighter home. So I have this discussion again when it comes to dehumidification because. When you set that thermostat to 74 and your AC comes on, it's probably going to run a shorter amount of time. Now, if we can get it right size, it'll run a little bit longer. But the reality is, is when it hits that set point, it's going to shut off for a longer period because your house is going to keep that cooler air in for a longer amount of time. It's not a leaky house that's instantly all going to leak out and then your AC is going to come on right away again. So it's But people only know what they've known in the past and where they came from.
0: Well, and I think that in a lot of cases, especially true for builders, is they know where their comfort zone is as far as durability, right? So they know if I do this, I can provide you with something that I know I maybe don't have to come back to or I don't like, I'm not going to have an issue with. And so that just brings us back to, you know, the whole team aspect, the integrated team, getting those mechanical contractors in who are like, this is what I do all day long. We've evaluated both the systems that are in your house and the way that it's built. And now we're saying, okay, this is what we have because your ventilation strategy changes based on the number of windows you have versus the you know, like there's so many things and we realize now that we don't all have to be jacks of all trade. Like we don't yep. have to know everything and that we can't use the historic data of this is how we've always done it. Or this is what, you know, in the past we've done energy models that have been based on, you know, previous years. But as we're seeing with climate data, it can vary wildly between years. And so we almost can't use that data yep either. And so it's this kind of really interesting for me. I find it fascinating. I love the new challenges thinking about. Obviously, don't want to be called back because something is, you know, totally out of whack or yeah. whatever. And, you know, in the 70s when we decided that everything was going to be tight and we didn't realize ventilation and we made all these sick buildings. Unfortunately, in this industry, we might make some things that are like the wrong direction first and have to back back out from that but it's cool to see how it's changing and evolving. And that to me as an architect is interesting. So I really dislike the pushback from the community. That's like, well, I've done it this way for all this time. And these details are right. And we shouldn't pay attention to that. I'm like, no, we should be looking at what's the future. How do we make that work? And what, what don't we understand? And, That's part of what I love about BSN beer It's like every week I get an education on things I didn't know I didn't know. Right. (laughs) Because you don't know what you don't know. You know,
1: that's what. So what we what we're seeing in Virginia and then even in North Carolina. And I think it's really interesting because it's it's from the affordable housing set point for multifamily where they are requiring um, that you leave room for a dehumidifier, that there's electrical there and there is a drain. And then you get added benefit if you actually just put in, you know, because we have this in-wall dehumidifier that's used a lot. But I think if there's pushback and for dehumidification, I always say, just make sure you leave room for one to be added, that we've got the electrical we need and that we can get it drained. Um, So, I mean, retrofit is where we came from. And the the worst thing is when you know a dehumidifier is going to fix it, but there's no place to put it. So at least just, you know, if we can't get the homeowner or the builder or the HVAC contractor to the point where, yes, we're going to add that dehumidifier, well, then let's look at, okay, let's leave some room. And then, you know, if it's a really, really tight house, um, let's make sure we're thinking about those added BTUs as well. Um, If we're going to have to address that on the system as well, but making sure that we just, we never know what people are going to live like, you know, we don't, we don't know what's going to happen when people move in. So let's just leave room in case um, we need to add one.
0: Yeah. No, I think you're right. And we don't know what we don't know yet either is like, okay, we leave room for this, but like, maybe there's some technology, some, something that like every time we change something that has the next effect on something else, you know, it, it was asbestos. And then when we figured out asbestos was bad for us, we moved to radon. And then once we figured out radon was bad and then we are like, uh, you know, and it was lead paint and it was, you know, it's just like one thing after another, after another. And tight buildings and moisture and it's ventilation,
1: right? Right now, the big talk is ventilation and added filtration. And a lot of people are going to be looking at how to add those to buildings into their homes. yeah You can't just add a MERV 16 filter to an existing system without understanding the static, how that static is going to affect the system. But all they know is what you know, the news is saying and what's being communicated and everybody wants best for their families and in the only environment that they can control right now. Right. And this added ventilation, especially as we're going into fall, um, is going to be an interesting one to tackle in certain climates with, with, with the dew points outside in the fall and no AC running. So.
0: Yeah. I agree. I agree. Well, I appreciate you coming on today. Um, it's always great to talk to you. I always learn a ton uh, because I would it? say as an architect, mechanical probably was never my strong suit. And I'm learning so much more about mechanical and ventilation and energy performance the, the longer I get into this. And And like I said, I just find it fascinating. I want to know all of it. I want to know how all of the, it's like the anatomy of a house, you know, like I want to know how all of the body parts work in this house. And, um, so I appreciate you coming on talking, um, any last words of advice for, for any of the listeners on, you know, where to find more information or what to do here?
1: Sure, sure. So on our residential products, it would be um, santa-fay-products.com. You can also go to the Thermostore website, and that'll direct you there. But I think the most important thing is just, you know, really thinking through how we're going to maintain a set relative humidity in a home, and making sure that we're thinking about indoor air quality as a whole with that you know, what I consider the holy grail, which is ventilation, filtration and moisture control.
0: Thank you, Nikki. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to talk to me, so. Thank you,
1: I appreciate it.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the E3 podcast. I hope you guys have been enjoying these episodes as much as I have. I've had some really interesting guests, a lot of great professionals in the building science and architecture and building realm. So thank you to all the guests that have been on. If you're enjoying the podcast, like and share on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or leave me a comment on the website. And if there's somebody you'd like to hear from, or you'd like me to have on the podcast, send me an email, emily at matramarch.com. Otherwise, have a fantastic weekend, and we'll see you again next week.